We are definitely live, and I'm learning a lot even before the session starts. We got an action-packed session for everybody today. Welcome to Livestream Doc Talks number 92 with our special guest, who I'm going to get to in a second because I really want to make an effort to try to pronounce his name and not sound like another American idiot. But before we get into that, we have some very special announcements for the Data on Kubernetes community. You will see in Twitter a few different milestones that we've reached today. We've got over 3,000 followers on LinkedIn. We've got over 2,000 subscribers on YouTube. We're approaching 3,000 followers on, on Twitter. But beyond that as well, we have a very, very special announcement today because we have announced our sponsors, all right? Over 20 companies are now sponsoring the data on Kubernetes community. You can see them on our webpage. I will put in a link, all right? If you would like to sponsor as well, of course, all you have to do is reach out and talk to us. We'll be happy to talk to you. It is no coincidence, kind of a coincidence, but an interesting fact that we are here today with someone who's from Storage OS, who's also one of our sponsors. So big shout out to Storage OS. Uh, we got that going on. We also got, of course, our co-located event on October 12th in Los Angeles. It will be virtual. That's coming up. Got a lot of different speakers that are going to be participating there. A lot of action. So definitely sign up for that. It's totally free with your registration with KubeCon. If for whatever reason you are not registered for KubeCon, get in touch with us and we'll find a way to get you into the DOK. On top of that, next week on October 6th, we have the DOK Students' Day. About 30 talks, 25 of them are going to be given by students, all related to data on Kubernetes topics. So very much looking forward to that. Um, but now, we are not here just to talk about that. We are here today with an amazing guest. And I will try to say his name correctly. And please correct me if I'm wrong. His name is not Richard. His name is Richard Kovac. All right? It is not Kovacs, so don't make that mistake. Um, very nice to have you with us today. How are you doing? How's it going? Thank you. You did it well. Yes. Uh, welcome, everybody. My, my name is Rihard, and I feel very excited to share uh, some knowledge about eBPF with you guys. Very, very good. We're excited to have you with us, too. Uh, eBPF is a big topic, so big that it's going to be getting some special attention in KubeCon. But before we address that, just to get to know you a little bit better, Rihard, can you just tell us a little bit about your background? It does say on Twitter that you are a Psytrance cyberpunk, among other things, as well as a little bit about race driving. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so next to programming, I have a few hobbies. I, I'm racing in the Hungarian National Championship with my uh, Nitro Engine remote control car. I finished on, on third position in the final. Not bad. <laughs> uh, finally. And uh, yeah, I'm a Psytrance nerd, which means I... I woke up and uh, sleep with Psytrance. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I really like to dance on, on that kind of music. Very, and, very good. Yeah, that's cool. And we were just talking, he gave me some recommendations. If you want to know more about Psytrance, we have a music channel in our Slack, all right, which is one of my favorite channels because we get all different kinds of recommendations. So dropping some tracks in there um, that Richard has, uh, has recommended. And you're also an anime fan, I believe. Yes, I see, see many, many animes, animes in the past. That's good. That's good. Uh, That's my nice. main theme is the uh, ghost in the shell kind of post-apocalyptic movies. That's cool. All right. Can never get enough of that. Um, but now we will be moving over to more of the technical side, perhaps. One of the things that you, you, know, you mentioned just in the description is what is eBPF? You know, we're seeing all these different uh, things coming out, whether it's data mesh, whether it's GitOps, whether it's DataOps, all these different things. Where does eBPF come from and how did your experience with it start? Um, eBPF is a very low level tool, which because it's a, it's a kernel module, a kernel sub module, 
and it helps us to to catch different kind of kernel events and uh, react on those uh, those events. But I will describe all the details in my I'm presentation. Sure you will. So. Yeah, so no spoilers. No, <laughs> no spoilers. spoilers. <laughs> all right. And as usual, folks, if you have any questions, just put them in the chat and we'll answer them accordingly. If you'd like to start sharing your presentation, go for it. Thank you so much. Sure. So welcome, everybody. And I hope you see my presentation. Yeah. So today, I would like to talk about the eBPF from the view of a storage developer. Uh, and maybe this is the most uh, boring slide, but I'm a Kubernetes integration integration engineer at uh, Storage OS. My mainly tasks task are to develop operators, scheduler, and other uh, Kubernetes controllers, and uh, lots of with lots of automation. I have uh, several years of background backgrounds in DevOps space and cloud and containerization, and also. Uh, I'm developing Go in six years now, before I did some Java development for eight years. So I have also experience in, uh, in several programming uh, languages and technologies. Uh, I'm an open source devotee, and you can find me as uh, MHM Access on the social media like Twitter, GitHub, and, uh, and LinkedIn. But uh, let's go to the next slide. I would like to talk just a few words about uh, Storage OS. Storage OS is a, a cloud-native software-defined uh, storage solution. We offer strong, consistent, and distributed uh, storages on on-premises and hybrid, hybrid clouds. I will show you some, some uh, examples how easy to, to use a consistent storage on, in, uh, in Kubernetes. But this is not the topic of today. Uh, let's talk a bit about the agenda. I would like to talk about the basics uh, of eBPF performance and uh, impact and weaknesses, uh, a bit deep dive into the, the, the details, make dirty or hand. And then I would like to talk about the developer experience of eBPF uh, solutions, programs, just like portability, debugging, and and finally, I would like to introduce you to uh, KubeCuttle plugin, which helps us to, to run eBPF scripts on, on a Kubernetes cluster. So let's talk about the basics. So what the heck is uh, extended Berkeley packet filter called eBPF? It is, it is an old and boring technology because it is in the kernel, Linux kernel since the 4.1 version. But on the other hand, the hype curve of the technologies is really high. And nowadays, it started just a few years ago. Uh, firstly, it was a replacement of the IP tables, the net filter part of the kernel, because of several disadvantages of the IP tables. I think the most important disadvantages of of IP tables is it has a rule file and it consumes that file line by line, which means in, in a Kubernetes cluster where, where there are 20,000 uh, services, uh, this IP table rule replacement can, can took uh, 20 or 30 minutes. So this is not an option in, in big clusters. So some kernel developer introduced the uh, BBVF technology, 
and uh, replaced IP tables. Exactly, it uses uh, different kernel events, events to do various things. I, I have counted the, the, the trace points of, of the eBPF subsystem, and there is almost 200,000 of uh, kernel event, which we are able to, to listen on. But uh, the PB, BPF, uh, the original uh, subsystem has uh, some weakness that it was able to work in the kernel space because routing packages is, is a kernel space issue. But uh, the developers of BPF extended the, the, the eBPF and uh, it has now the capability to interact with the user space, which is a really important aspect because uh, on that case, we are able to, to watch the kernel event and then do something on the user space based, based on the, in the kernel event. Um, the BBF subsystem in, in the kernel uh, has a, a special bytecode uh, instrumentation, which we are able to produce with several programming languages. But uh, finally, or, or program or, or script is compiled to a special eBPF bytecode, which is attached by the kernel to the specific uh, point where, where we would like to attach it. And uh, one true fact that this is a new technology, so this is a new attack vendor in our system. And this presentation doesn't talk too much about security, but if you would like to introduce eBPF, you have to uh, take care on the security too, because, because an eBPS script is able to do everything on the, on the kernel. But in, in really short, that eBPF is, is a, a, usually a small, mostly C, C program compiled to a bytecode to hook up at, at almost everywhere in the kernel. How does it uh, look like? So we write the the user program, and then we generate a special that special bytecode, which we load into the kernel. In the kernel space on the pink box, pink box, there is a, there are several verifiers and uh, other validations because with the BPF script we are able to read kernel space memory. So security is, is very important at the, at this point. Uh, and then the BPF subsystem executes uh, or script. Uh, there are four different uh, attach types or attach points. Uh, those are the blue boxes. Uh, I will describe them uh, later. And uh, there is a concept called the maps, uh, which BPF uses to share data uh, to the user space. So we load the BPF script, kernel verifies it, and then uh, it changes the, the function uh, instruction order of, of the observed function, kernel function, and then it loads data to the maps and the user space applications are able to watch, uh, this, uh, the, watch the changes of this map. So I would like to share you some uh, projects which are already based on, on eBPF. And of course, all of them uh, are running on, on a Kubernetes cluster. The, the biggest one I think is the Cilium, 
which is a networking and security and observability tool totally based on, on uh, eBPF. The other nice uh, tool is the Calico, which, has, which is also a network plugin, and it has an eBPF data plane, which has a limited functionality than the non-eBPF version, but it is uh, ongoing, ongoing. And uh, WaveScope for tracing TCP connections uh, or second BPF for limiting syscalls in the cluster and the inspector gadget, which uh, I already mentioned and would like to, to show you. So what kind of uh, layers there are in the kernel? Because those subsystems uh, are the, should be the target of, of our uh, tracers or, or watchers that there are many of them, but the most important from the storage view are in the green box. We have a virtual file system layer level. We have a file system layer level, a volume manager, block device and device drivers. Of course, we are able to, to catch those layer related events, but the kernel is really big. So there are several other points. So tracing something at the virtual file system layer level, uh, usually it, those are uh, file-related events like create, read, update, or delete files, directories. We are able to watch uh, the file system caches or different mount points. And I have found 44 events uh, in this uh, layer where those are generic uh, file operations in, in this level. Uh, just to say some example, what you can imagine that we are able to count all the virtual file system calls, for example, or, or read the latency distribution of a, a VFS uh, command. The next layer level is the file system, where we found the file system specific events like uh, X4, NFS, or BTRFS. We found also the CRUD operations and block write read operations also in, a, in some lower level uh, <clears throat> part of the, the execution of a function and also many performance related events. Um, I have counted only the X4 uh, events and there's also 400 of them. So exactly we are able to catch every metrics, every part of the, the extended for file system. We are able to trace, for example, slow uh, NFS operations or summarize BTRFS operation latency distribution. Uh, if you open my slide later, I would like to share it with you. You can check those examples. I don't want to go into the details, just to say some examples. And uh, I would like to talk the block device and device drivers layer at once. This, at, uh, this trace level gives insight on which are area of uh, low level, real hardware near operations, physical disk device operation or virtual block device operation just like block device read and write. Uh, so this, this level is a really low level. We can trace block IO size or 
block IOD latency, and many, many more. And uh, I have introduced the eBPF, what is it? But, and it is a really nice technology, I, I like it, but it has several weaknesses. One of them is uh, not all the architectures are supported. Uh, don't be afraid that ARM, ARM64, and AMD64 are included. But if you have some special architecture, maybe you are not able to, to deploy the same BPF script uh, in your different nodes of a heterogeneous cluster. And it is also not supported everywhere. Uh, first of all, it's, it depends on the config BPF syscall uh, kernel build configuration. So if some Linux distributor disables this configuration that though then uh, Linux kernel is not able to uh, attach BPF scripts, scripts. And if we are speaking about the containerization world that an eBPF uh, executor, eBPF container needs a privilege mode because it has to attach uh, code base into the kernel, which needs a, a higher level uh, access. And unfortunately, not uh, all the cloud providers support it. I have found, <clears throat> sorry, I have found the distribution where, where it was not able to, to spin up something because of a missing kernel module or, or some tricky underlay, uh, underlayer virtualization system or something similar. Portability of an EBF script is also- oh, Sorry, we got, we got a question. Um, yes. Are there any specific configurations required to trace overlays? Uh, no, exactly. If the config BPF syscalls are, are enabled, that you are able to do it. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> so portability of, of uh, a BPF script is also should be tricky because uh, this, those scripts are, are really low level. They live in the kernel space, so they have to follow the, the kernel itself. Uh, which can change uh, anytime. And uh, I have talked about the maps a few words, but uh, those has uh, some limited size and limited types. So we are not able to send any data or huge data across uh, a map. And uh, in my experience, it's really hard to debug, but uh, I will talk this part about later. And also if someone has a, a huge heterogeneous infrastructure with different edge computers and uh, many architectures that uh, the that test matrix uh, should be huge, huge on this case <clears throat> because we have to test it on, on every distribution, every architecture, every kernel version. <laughs> so you can imagine it, it can grow uh, really fast. And uh, finally, in the basic sections, I would like to talk about the performance impact that those BPF scripts are really small, uh, pre-built bytecodes exactly, that on the fly in the kernel, it is uh, just in time compiled, uh, which is depends on the, on the kernel configuration, but it's, it's uh, optimized on the kernel level. And uh, because of the BPF subsystem changes the function instruction order 
of the observed uh, function exactly it's it's native there is no any extra layer and no exact or, or measurable overhead because we just add a few steps uh, in, before or after uh, the function it's time to go a bit deeper <clears throat> into the uh, ebpf word so i have mentioned in the architecture that the blue boxes on the on the kernel size those were the different type of uh, attachment points we have exactly four of them the one of them is the keep k probe which is the kernel dynamic tracing uh, entry point uh, we, we can for example uh, kernel we can observe for example kernel five right end or begin operations so everything which is happening in the kernel space uh, we are able to <clears throat> to observe and the other type is the u probe which is the same as the the k probe just in the user space level a good example if we would like to to read the return value of the bash read line function that's also just an example. So we are also able to observe any user space application uh, with BPF. We have a trace points also, which is just a kernel static point, uh, trace point where we are able to observe only the input parameters of the function. And just to give an example, we are able to trace the sys enter sys call of, of any program or a given PID or given program. And there are also perf events, which are time sampling performance monitoring counters. Those are inside and metrics of the kernel, which we can uh, read with eBPF. <clears throat> and uh, the really interesting part of the technology is how is, uh, the communication between user space and kernel space happens. As I mentioned, EVPF uses uh, maps to solve this problem. Uh, so re reading uh, of, the, of the map is, happens asynchronously. So that means our kernel don't block because of the user space application is doing something else than watching on, on a kernel event. And there are several types of, of maps for different use cases. Those many, I don't want to walk through on all, just highlighted a few of them that we are able to define uh, arrays or perf event array. We can define an array of maps or queue or ring buffers. So finally, we will find the right uh, map architecture for our specific uh, use case. And uh, let's jump into the developer experience that I mentioned that the BPF is a, is a kernel subsystem and everything happens in, in bytecode level. But of course, we have to write those scripts uh, somehow. And uh, those frameworks are called uh, frontends. So the, the BPF script developers are met with the meet with the front ends there are several we have several options and the most famous and uh, the root root of root of everything is the bcc library 
which is a toolkit for creating efficient kernel tracing and manipulation programs. It has tons of examples, so we are able to find an example almost for, for everything. The kernel instrumentations are written in C, but the front-end code, uh, which is loads the BPF and reads the map and do other uh, non-kernel part of the functionality, are, are written in Python and Lua. Uh, in my personal preference, I don't really like the dynamic generated source code in a Python source code uh, thing. Uh, which, uh, which is found several places in the BCC tool, but uh, it, it, it just works. Another handy tool is the BPF trace. BPF trace is a bit different than BCC because in, in that case, we have a, a special language, a high level language with a very fixed scope about the tracing uh, topic. The big advantages of these technologies because of that uh, uh, separate language, and uh, it compiles that language to the BPF bytecode. Uh, it solves the portability uh, of the BPF scripts. So if we would like to write some really short, really quick uh, tool uh, without worrying of the portability that BPF trace is, the, is a good candidate. Uh, they have re rewritten many of the existing BCC examples just in BPF trace. And also BPF trace supports the one-liners. So in the example uh, below that uh, we trace, trace all the sysenter open uh, syscalls and print out uh, the file name of the, of the function with just uh, one liner, which is, I think is, uh, is really amazing. And also there is a kubectl plugin, uh, which we are able to use on, uh, on any Kubernetes cluster. I will show you something about this uh, later. And in my preference, that is it's really easy to learn. Uh, it's, I think three or four hours is enough to, if someone uh, already know, knows the programming language, language, it's just three or four hours to, to learn the, the basics. I have created a short example, which is traces all the extended for reads in a given mount point. And it's just a few line, as you see. Every we, can, we, we can agree that it's much easier than learning Hungarian. Yes, it's much easier. <laughs> okay, that's good, that's good. Then, uh, you are right. So each BPF script has a begin and an end section, and between them there are the attachments. And you can see in this uh, example, we have two attachments. One is a key probe to the X4 file open function, and we have a key red probe for the same function, which is the catches the return value of the function call. So deploying these uh, scripts, we are able to monitor any uh, file open operation. And uh, jump to the lines uh, 26. Uh, there is a local scope variable. Local scope variables are starts with uh, the dollar sign and only available in, in that uh, section. 
also we are able to to cast the the arguments of the uh, the function the, the file open function which also solved by the bpf trace because it takes care on the on the data structure memory data structure in the behind the scenes uh, so we we are able to get reference to the arguments and we are able to cast them to any uh, kernel structure and we have an if if expression if there is no mount point or the mount point is is the given uh, command line flag uh, then we execute some logic in this case so in the bpf script we are able to to parse uh, command line arguments also and in this example uh, if the mount point is matches or there is no mount point we store the the pid and the command of the uh, caller of this function we use a, a global variables which starts with the add sign so those variables are are available uh, in the different uh, sections and we also save the name of the file and the mount point and jump to the return part of the file call uh, in line 36 there is an also an if expression that if if map is empty that uh, this script this section is not executed so only executed if if there is something in the map and we just print out uh, all the data which we have and then delete the temporary uh, variables which we stored previously in the the k probe and in the end section we clear everything from the memory so it's just uh, just a few lines of code and I would like to share you an example. So first, uh, check the kernel version. Does it support uh, the BPF attachments at all? With the BPF trace also helps uh, for us. And as we can see, the kernel helpers uh, are loaded. I will describe it later. And map types are allowed. And also probe types are allowed. So we are able to install the plugin. Uh, I use usually the crew plugin to install uh, third-party plugins to my kubectl. And as you see, we are in a security risk. So run, run this on your own, uh, own risk. Unfortunately, this, this doesn't work. And I didn't investigate uh, why exactly the script itself is working on my local machine so i can show you the functionality but i have to go further to find what is the reason why it's not running on the kubernetes cluster so i started here the the probes you can see the four probes and uh, it's found that something housekeeping my fs tab <laughs> And uh, it also works with the given mount point that you can see that the, my GNOME shell opened the, the host file. So with just a few lines, we are able to uh, monitor or, or kernel behavior really easy.
And because I'm a big fan of Go language, uh, I, I've found a few Go alternatives uh, for frontends. Uh, the Go BPF is, uh, is some kind of part of the BCC project. Uh, it is developed by the same, same group and it provides Go binding for the BCC framework. It has low level utils to load and use BPF programs. Uh, the kernel instrumentation is also written in C. Exactly, it is almost the same than BCC, just not with Python, with Go language. It's uh, nice to use. But my all-time favorite was the Cilium eBPF project, which is a, a pure Go library that provides utilities for loading, compiling, and debugging eBPF programs. It also have lots of examples and most importantly, lots, lots of useful helpers. So we don't have to reinvent the wheel if we use uh, eBPF. We have uh, two options to write down our kernel instrumentations. One option is uh, assembly, but it's generated by Go code. So we exactly we write Go code, which generate, generates the uh, assembly code on the other side, and we are able to write uh, C code. The uniqueness of this library is that it generates the Go binding uh, from the C code. So usually the, the C instrumentation is just uh, a few line, uh, catch the event and send uh, everything to the, to the user space. And we are able to implement any kind of business logic in the, in the user space with Go, we, are, we can send data to Prometheus or do some analytics or save something to database, anything exactly, which is possible with Go, it's <laughs> possible uh, with eBPF uh, too. <clears throat> Let's talk a bit about the portability, which I, as I mentioned, it should be a, a bit tricky. So by default, an eBPF program has to match uh, with kernel because it's, its operator works in the, in the kernel. And in, in the kernel, that function signatures uh, are able to change and also the data structs are, uh, are able to change. So somehow we have to follow those, those things with the, in, in our BPF scripts. And one thing makes uh, things more tricky that uh, in the kernel headers, if you see, check the different data structures, they are randomly reordered uh, during the comp compile time. So if we are working with eBPF scripts, uh, if, uh, if the kernel compiled with the random reorder, we are not able to reproduce the, the structures in, in our BPF script to exactly match on the kernel version. Uh, that uh, makes it really hard to, to work with eBPF. Exactly, if, uh, if we are speaking about some primitive data structures like string and integers and so on, it's uh, not a big deal because those um, never change, I can say. But <clears throat> if we have complex data structures like, uh, like a file, file, for example, uh, it should be really, really hard. But of course, there are uh, some uh, options to, 
to increase the portability. And one what I can suggest is use BPF trace if it's possible because it just uh, works. <clears throat> but if it, this isn't an option that there is only one way you have to deal with the kernel version match. Which uh, topic also have some uh, helpers that, as I mentioned, the Cilium eBPF uh, has really handy helpers and I suggest to use them. <clears throat> also, we don't need to copy the kernel headers from kernel source code uh, into our BPF script. I have found that the BPF tool is able to dump uh, the headers in, into one single file. So with this BPF2 command, uh, we are able to include one file and it contains all the, all the headers of the existing kernel, <laughs> which is really important because uh, different versions and different kernels has uh, different structures because those C structures has uh, uh, if-defined uh, sections and if-expressions in them. <clears throat> But I think the most important uh, tool to deal with, uh, with uh, these different data structures is the high-level BPF Cori mechanism. The Cori is a set of macros to generate memory accessors on the fly. For example, read the memory or check a field existing uh, data structure, structure or not. Several <clears throat> or those, there are several of those uh, macros. So let's talk a bit about uh, what those macros are, are doing. So by default, the kernel memory is not readable directly from a BPF script. So we are not able to point uh, any byte, any bit in the, in the memory and read uh, what we want because of the security reasons. So we have to use the BPF core read uh, function. Uh, which I mentioned in the in the demo that they are enabled in my in my uh, system. So those BPF core read functions uh, help us to to read uh, kernel space memory into a variable in the BPF script. <clears throat> but uh, those are able to read only once at a time. So if we have a complex data structure, we have to read everything out from the kernel to a variable. And uh, compare it to with the, the BPF Cori mechanism, where we write down the, the first line in the list that BPF Core read. We would like to read the file, and we would like to read the, the fpass.dentry and the iname of the file. Those are not uh, real C variables. This is the pass. Uh, where to find those uh, the data in the data structure, and the macros are generating all the BPF core reads behind the, the scenes. So it's it's very very handy. And a few words about uh, the debugging. If I haven't mentioned, it is hard to debug. Many times there is no error; just the script does nothing. If we would like to print out something in the BPF script, print is also a user space interaction. So if uh, something wrong, 
and we are not able to interact with the user space. We are not able to print things also. Uh, trickily, the BPF calls are also traceables. So we are able to trace BPF functions with BPF. But the big disadvantages of these technologies, it requires a kernel recompile because we have to disable the just-in-time compiler uh, to see what's uh, really happening in our, our BPF script. Or, uh, sorry, and <clears throat> I have found the eBPF virtual machine in, uh, implemented in Rust. I didn't try it at all, so I don't I don't have any experience with the with it. But uh, as I know, we are able to load our BPF script into the virtual machine, uh, which we can uh, debug and uh, monitor. Of course, it will be different than the live system, so <clears throat> it's not a full solution, but should be a good starting point if we uh, are blocked in somewhere. <clears throat> <clears throat> Sorry. And yeah, you can you may ask where is Kubernetes in the, the picture and the I was just about to ask, I was just about to ask that. <laughs> <laughs> so where is Kubernetes? I would like to introduce the the kubecutter gadget to you. Uh, and I also would like to show you some demo. So the kubectl gadget is a is a kubectl plugin. So we are able to install it also with the crew, just like a, a trace, and it helps us to to execute eBPF scripts on the cluster. It has a deployment, so it deploys a a, a, date, a pod on the on the kernel nodes on the cluster nodes. Sorry. And uh, each node will has this gadget, which is up and running at the, the moment. And the other part of the tool is the CLI tool, the plugin itself, where we can uh, execute those uh, plugins. And before starting the demo, I would like to install also the storage OS to this uh, cluster. I also use our fancy and new alpha installer <laughs> because uh, alpha testing in a live presentation is always a happy point. So seems storage OS will be installed uh, soon. Yes, I, I think it's uh, everything is uh, running. So we have a uh, Kubernetes cluster, uh, storage OS on the cluster, and also uh, the deployed uh, gadget, the inspector gadget. So let's deploy some uh, workload. First, we, I would like to create a persistent volume claim, which uh, there is nothing special in this uh, persistent volume claim. It's just uh, uses storage OS as the storage class. And also I will create a pod which uses that, uh, that uh, PVC 
in the background. And now we have a, a workload which is uh, using our storage. So I think it's uh, time to show the magic. So in the background, I have uh, executed some workload. I, I read the slash dev slash uh, random and write some data on, into the, the volume, which uh, at some point uh, became full and we will able to catch uh, no, the fourth step, sorry. So spin up the inspector gadget to monitor uh, or cluster. Exactly, I have created a pull request for this command, which has merged a few days ago. So it will be available <laughs> in the official tools. And if we see that there is a, uh, you have to see the average millisecond uh, in this page. And you can see there is a, a PID, which has really high uh, latency because of uh, the disk is full and the, the writes happens too fast. So we are able to find uh, exactly which uh, process is uh, uh, IO hungry and which process need to take uh, care with the inspector gadget, which is, I think, awesome. And uh, just to summarize uh, uh, what I have talked uh, talked about, uh, I love EPP. I, I love eBPF. It requires some kernel knowledge, at least uh, kernel navigation, source code navigation uh, experiences. There are lots of opportunities from an AI-driven storage miner detector to a real-time file monitoring tool. Uh, with a bit of kernel knowledge, it's easy to react on almost any kind of event in our system. There are several front-ends, helpers, and uh, other libraries, while also a bunch of existing projects. So we have a real-world experience how to use eBPF. The Kubernetes integration depends on the distribution and the platform. And as I experienced, that C is a mandatory at the end of the day. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's really hard to debug. <laughs> uh, those are my the slides. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, Can you go? Oh, so good, good, good. I was just going to ask about some resources. So anyway, go ahead with the extra reading. I just uh, put some extra readings. Those were the most uh, interesting during my uh, uh, journey with eBPF. Okay. Can you go back to the conclusions really quickly as well? Because I just want to take a look at a couple of different things. So you love eBPF. The question is, does, how much does eBPF love you? <laughs> uh, good question. That. So I wanted to to introduce an, another tool for you uh, during the presentation, which, uh, which is reads the, the top writers of a file system. And I wanted to put it into a container and write everything with uh, eBPF. But exactly, I had a really limited time to prepare this presentation. And uh, I have found uh, the way how to read those kernel memories but how to read it well is not clear at the moment. So 
I have to spend more time to to deep dig into deeper because it's a it's an easy topic until we would like to do simple things. But easy to learn and hard to master. <laughs> in, in in short. No, that's fair. That's fair. Um, but it's interesting to see, you know, like, once again, is that, you know, there is more and more of an interest. Is this the first time that there's going to be an EBPF day in KubeCon or was, has there been one before? Uh, this was the first time. That's what I'm saying. So uh, what is, what do you, in terms of the adoption um, of seeing this, you know, that more and more folks are getting involved. Do you think that, like you said, uh, in terms of the level of difficulty or entry point or training materials that are out there, do you feel that this is something that we can expect to see in more KubeCons in the future, that there's a growing community with a strong interest in this? Yes, exactly. Mostly because of its performance impact. <laughs> but if you see back some KubeCons, uh, there are several existing projects to trace, for example, uh, uh, services in, in Kubernetes with eBPF. So it's, it's, a, it's a hyper technology, and I think we will see more and more uh, technologies based on this. I know that you mentioned so, so that, you know the weaknesses towards the beginning, and, and the, if anything sticks with me is the debugging, and we can probably talk about that a little bit more too. <laughs> but what, someone asked me in Slack uh, if I could ask you what is the the single biggest adverse effect on performance because of eBPF. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> That's okay, <laughs> this is the real and, and you don't have to. That's fine. <laughs> Yes, yeah. I, I'm. I'm also a newbie in eBPF. Uh, it doesn't sound like it. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, with everything you explained, but that's okay. And I think maybe it's one of the, you know maybe there's perhaps still early days, and so the more that people look at this, the more that these things will probably come to light. Um, all that stuff's good. Then, in so you did you did recommend some resources. Where and and okay, if you consider yourself a newbie, but I think it's kind of what happens with Kubernetes. You know, like who is really a Kubernetes expert? Are there Kubernetes experts? <laughs> Obviously, we have you know the founding um, folks, such as you know Joe Beta, people that were in the very beginning when designing Borg. Um, but with these, you know, emerging innovative technologies, to really be a master of it, you know, I think it's it, it's kind of kind of mm -hmm. probably just a little bit too early. Um, but in terms of folks that want to get started, when you say about kernel knowledge, so in your experience, what have been helpful resources or experiences that have helped you build out that kind of knowledge? Um, I don't know. I just surfed in the, on the internet. and uh, You make it sound so inter easy. <laughs> interesting art, uh, uh, articles, but I think the biggest uh, ambassador of eBPF technologies, Brendan Gregg. Uh, okay. You have to follow his, uh, his uh, blog because he's writing really interesting parts. He's one of the developer of the BPF submodule. So okay. working at Netflix and AWS. So <laughs> yeah. uh, he's solving real, real world performance uh, as a performance engineer, real world performance issues with eBPF really easily. So he okay. is the, the one who I can uh, a go to resource, like a, a really solid yes. reference. Yeah, um, yeah. that's good to keep and, in mind. Sorry, and also, you have to know that the the foundation, the next to the Linux Foundation and the CNCF, there is an eBPF foundation for half a year. Something uh, this. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so something is happening there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's enough of an interest. 
And, and once again, earlier we were talking about Slack channels, you know, about how many different Slack groups we're in, but how many foundations there are and how difficult <laughs> that is to keep track of everything. There's a large ecosystem, but I think it's a positive thing to see that there, there is that interest, there are communities of practice where folks are getting together and sharing, um, you know, the best ways to do things so that it's not so challenging for when people want to get started. Now, another question more just on the storage side and, and taking it to the storage and Kubernetes, because it's no secret, you know, storage OS is very, very active and in all things related to stateful workloads. And that's one of the primary topics of our community is talking about how to run stateful workloads on Kubernetes and the difficulties of doing so. In your experience, from your perspective, your point of view, do you think that the major blockers for people to be running stateful workloads on Kubernetes is a technological one, is a cost one, it's a people problem? What do you think is are the things that need to be kind of cleaned up so that this can become easier? Um. I think because they hasn't haven't installed storage OS. <laughs> <laughs> because with the storage OS, you have don't have to take care mostly of these these points. We we do the hard work uh, behind the scenes. That's a, I think that's a good point. And obviously, you're doing a great job representing storage <laughs> OS. So I hope all the storage OS folks are out there <laughs> now. But I think it's a good point. Is that like. I think one of the conversations we have frequently, and whether it's about data on Kubernetes or Kubernetes in general, is how can we make it a little bit more boring? How can it kind of be, you know, disappear into the background and that there isn't so much wrangling that has to go on and that things can be simplified? And we've seen that also with conversations with, you know, folks from Open Policy Agent or also Kiverno, you know, policy engine, so that when developers are in Kubernetes, there are these sort of guardrails saying, you all need to focus on this. Um, we also see this with things like RBAC. Um, so I think that's a good point. What we're looking for is the kind of simplification, making these things easier so that it so that there aren't, you know, because it, the more complex it is, the more time it takes, and the more time it takes, the more money, you know, and the more it's going to, the more it's going to cost, um, as well as a skill level factor. But anyway, it's a very nice representation of storage OS. Um, and now that we've just got a couple of minutes left, in terms of other things that you would like to get out there, other things that you've worked on, other kinds of projects, can you just give us a little bit more background about you know how you got to the point where you're at today as a professional? Uh, not related to storage OS. <laughs> uh, currently, I'm also part of the Calico community, uh, some kind of active developer. Uh, I am developing uh, another operator for Calico, which is able to to scale Calico network from five nodes to three thousand. Uh, in, in really short that, uh, <clears throat> so in the default installation, Calico has a uh, IP IP encapsulation in the network and uh, it shares uh, the routes on the BGP protocol, mm -hmm. but it installs a full mesh uh, network. So every node connects to every other node to advertise and uh, fetch uh, different routes. And if you have a bigger cluster, more than 500 nodes or uh, in, in our experience, more, more than 500 nodes that you have to introduce some BGP topology. There are several of them, but you have to introduce a BGP topology to decrease the BGP message size and frequency and, and whatever. But there is no automation uh, on this, uh, this part of Calico. And I create, I've created an, an operator which is actively monitoring the cluster and calculates the right BGP topology and then applies everything on the cluster. So the Calico is able to, to build the, the selected topology. 
currently maybe near to 3,000 uh, nodes, but more topologies are coming and this can grow. And I'm working uh, with, the, with the technical lead of, of the Calico project, uh, and this will be merged soon into the core as a technical preview. All right. And so when you're not doing EVPF, you're doing Calico. <laughs> when you're not doing that, you're doing storage OS. You're driving race cars and getting in third place in the Hungarian championships. You're speaking dancing for hours. <laughs> speaking of meetups, dancing, sleeping, and listening to side trends. I, my question is, do you sleep and when do you eat? But anyway, it's very, very nice to see that to being so active. I think it's a good statement to a lot of folks out there that um, the importance of, you know, we were talking about this yesterday about, you know, constantly learning and, you know, communities and different things like that are a really solid way to do that, to find a place where you can contribute and be involved. Um, but yeah, you're very, very active. So for all the folks, I know you shared your links in the beginning. Obviously, we'll have the slides and we'll share them as well. Rich, uh, not Richard. Richard is quite easy to follow, accessible, friendly, very active, uh, producing a lot of stuff. Are you going to be speaking in KubeCon? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I, don't, okay. I don't have plans. Okay. Uh, not in the next, but okay. Uh, all right. who knows? Well, and well, well, uh, Thank you for having me. And don't forget, Hacktoberfest is beginning tomorrow. Hacktoberfest, <laughs> good shout out. The thing is, you are, you are in the wrong game, my friend. You should be in marketing. Your, your representation is also a t-shirt. Actually, can you stop sharing your screen for one second so I can share mine really quickly? Yes, of course. And don't worry, this isn't, this isn't an advertisement for anything. This is an advertisement for you. Um, so while we were talking, we have an amazing graphic recorder who, uh, who let me know when you can see my screen. Good, you can see it. So this is a visual summary of the different things that were touched upon that was created while we were doing this. Um, so I made sure to send them some stuff about Psytrance. So there's, I don't know if you can perceive a Psytrance vibe from this, but there is, that was done with that intention in terms of the color scheme and different things that we see there. Um, and of course the wonderful EVPF logo and, and some of the different things that were mentioned. But, uh, but anyway, I think we will all be paying closer attention now to EVPF anytime that it comes across our radar and we'll have you as a reference. Um, so keep that in mind. We will, be, we will be getting in touch whenever doubts come up related to that. Thank you very much. And thanks to all the folks from Storage OS that helped uh, put this together as well. Great people working there. And it's my pleasure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you, 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 you clearly work in a great place because um, all my interactions with Storage OS folks have been fantastic. So long may that continue. Get involved in Hacktoberfest. A lot of people in our community are also participating as mentors and in different, in, different, uh, in different aspects. So it's a really, really fun thing to get involved. Anyway, thank you very much. Have a good one. How do we say goodbye, in, Hung How do we say goodbye in Hungarian? See ya. We slap. See ya. That's super See ya. easy. Okay, that's super easy. Good, we got that. Thanks See a lot. Ya. Have a good thank one. You. Bye.